This is Melissa Ford Locken. Rosalie Petrowski. Susan Seraph and Jess. Editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. Expect the unexpected as our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to Lansing. Hello, I'm Susan Serafin Jess, one of the poetry editors of Washington Square Review, LCC's English Department Literary Journal of Poetry and Prose. Today is our first Washington Square on air, and our first guest is Cheryl Caesar. Welcome, Cheryl. Thanks for having me, Susie. Cheryl Caesar has an interesting biography. She lived in Europe for 25 years and earned her doctorate in comparative literature at the Sorbonne. She now teaches writing at MSU. Her chapbook of anti-Trump protest poetry, Flatman, is available from Amazon. I discovered that she and I have something in common besides teaching writing and being poets, and that is we both love turtles and have written poems which have turtles playing a prominent role. So today she is going to read two poems. The first one is shorter, and it's called Turtle of the Month, and the second is longer and more complex, and it's called Manuela the Tortoise, found after 30 years alone in a junk room. So I'm going to ask you to read your first poem, and then we'll discuss it. Okay. Um, I'd just like to point out that we actually have one turtle and one tortoise. Correct. Sorry. Right. And um, I'm of, often reminded of the difference between them by that lovely little song, Turtle Tortoise, that you can see on YouTube. Turtle. Anyway. I stand so, corrected. <laughs> so the first one is an actual turtle. And it was inspired by the September image on my calendar, which showed baby turtles hatching and heading for the sea. And it's quite a glorious sight. So Turtle of the Month goes, September hatchling heading for the sea, leaving a perfect sand freeze, silvered by sunlight and my bedroom lamp reflecting from the page. All of us cheer you on, the small waves sparkle in delight, frothing like champagne for this, your maiden voyage. It's a lovely poem. It's a joyous poem. And I love the image of frothing like champagne. Tell me a little bit about the genesis of that poem, if you would. It was from a calendar a calendar that hung over my desk, and um, I just found the image to be so joyous. The little little bits of water were flying up like sparkles or confetti or jewels, and the beautiful pattern in the sand and all these little turtles trying to make it to the sea. I know most of them don't, but we're cheering them on all the same. I read a, a suggestion in the Times at the beginning of the year, that if you don't have time to do writing, you could do a rough haiku every day. And this is kind of that sort of thing, just something that you see and you make a little short response to it 
in kind of the feeling of haiku, although this is longer than haiku. Well, that's a nice option for writing teachers because I know we often despair of having any time for our own writing during semesters when we're busy looking at our students' writing. Yeah, Stephen King, I think, said when he was teaching high school that trying to write while you're teaching writing is like try to drive your car while you're giving someone the jump start for their battery. So you can, you know, charge yourself or charge them. I'm not sure that's true, but it's a good excuse. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, every year for my daughter's birthday, I write her a poem. And this year she challenged me to write a haiku. And I found I couldn't just write a haiku of three lines. I ended up writing a longer poem where every stanza was a haiku. And now I've been charged with writing a poem for her wedding, so that's really scary. Wow. Yeah. All right, so that was Turtle of the Month. Now I'd like to move on to the tortoise. Manuela the tortoise found after 30 years alone in a junk room. And yes, that really did happen in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that story. Um, I've, I just read it in the National Geographic. I was at a writing retreat and I was avoiding writing an, a, a pedagogical essay as I was supposed to be doing, but I was browsing National Geographic and I was just so struck by this story. Um, these pictures of uh, people carrying boxes out, an older gentleman had passed and his kids were cleaning this room out and apparently a neighbor said, hey, that box of vinyl records, um, are you throwing out the tortoise as well? And they looked and there was a tortoise. And it just, so many questions for me. We feel sorry for the tortoise, but wasn't it always a captive anyway? How did, how did the tortoise live this experience? Did, could they have felt like their life was taken or stolen from them? Or this was it, this is life, right? Um, and then I thought of just iconic people who've lost years of their lives, been captive. Um, what does it mean? Is it possible to lose years of your life, to be robbed of years? Or as Ann Tyler would say, that the life you live is the one you were meant to have. It's the one you have. Well, and there are several references to those people or some of those people in the poem. So let's have you read the poem, and then maybe we can go back and talk about some of those lives. Sure. So, Manuela, what does a tortoise think? What does she feel? She lives long and moves slow, heavy and protected. Thirty years may pass like a sluggish dream. We may rail against her long incarceration, like Ricky Jackson's deserving of reparations, but wonder, as a pet, was she not always captive? Or we may cheer her escape like Billy Hayes fleeing on the Midnight Express from his 30-year sentence, although it seems she never scratched the door. Or pity her stolen life like J.C. Dugard's. But as Dugard found out, little by little, the life you live becomes the real one. Around her, termites flashed, emissaries of light. They live only a year or two. They feed on the trees whose prana we block and hide in darkened rooms. But nature always finds her way in. In 30 years of encephalitic lethargy, Miss R., a patient of Oliver Sacks, thought of 
nothing. It's dead easy once you know how. Turning the corners of a cerebral quadrangle, silently repeating seven notes of a Verdi aria, drawing mental maps of maps of maps. My posture leads to itself, she said. Perhaps Manuela, too, curled endlessly inward, a shell in a shell. Perhaps she, too, repeated for thirty years, in tortoise, I am what I am, what I am, what I am. Thank you, Cheryl. I noticed that the poem is bookended by Manuela, who was hidden, shall we say, for thirty years, and Miss R, who was also hidden for 30 years. Uh, but at first, I'd like to go through the different humans that you have used as a parallel. So could you tell me about Ricky Jackson, J.C. Dugard, uh, Billy Hayes, and then finally Miss R? Sure. Um, Ricky Jackson was wrongfully convicted of murder as a young man in Cleveland in 1975, and he was unjustly imprisoned for 39 years and then exonerated. He received, uh, Wikipedia calls it several million dollars from the state in reparations. <laughs> what can this even mean? What can it mean? And I, I did... Uh, researched this a little bit and found that it wasn't DNA that exonerated him. It was the eyewitness testimony had been coerced. He had been a teenager when he was arrested, tried and convicted. And the young man who testified against him was also a black teenager who was coerced by the police officers. And so uh, because of that and police misconduct, he was finally exonerated after 39 years. That's how long. Mm -hmm was wrongly incarcerated. Terrible story. All right, Billy Hayes. Billy Hayes. Well, if you've seen Midnight Express, mm -hmm. which is just an incredibly moving film, I don't think I've ever seen a, a movie prison break that makes me gasp and cheer in the same way. He's just, he's a figure of someone who keeps his I am, who keeps his core. There's a scene in the movie where all the prisoners are walking around and around this kind of central pillar for their exercise. Mm -hmm. They're all going clockwise, and he insists on going counterclockwise. And I, it's, I think, just a way of preserving the core of himself and that was able to, to last and then to escape. Yes, and I read that at first he was, they were going to charge him with possession, which was only a few years, and then they decided to throw the book at him for smuggling, which was a life sentence. So he's in Turkey yeah, in prison. Heroin. Yeah. And then they transferred him to a quote-unquote lunatic asylum, maybe for walking counterclockwise. <laughs> I don't know what he did to, to land him there. But when he escaped, he escaped in a rowboat? Mm-hmm. That is quite a story. Yeah. Yes. All right. J.C. Dugard, I think she might be the best known of these because of the interest in true crime, but tell us about her. Well, she was abducted while walking to the school bus stop at age 11 and kept captive for 18 years. She seems to have kept her 
optimism, her positivity. I note that her first memoir was called A Stolen Life, but her second is Freedom, My Book of Firsts. So I think that she had her time to mourn what was taken from her, but she is rejoicing in her life and her what we might call core self that has lasted. That is quite a story of resilience to be 11 years old. You're walking to the bus stop and somebody stuns you with a stun gun and takes you and now you're being sexually assaulted. You bear two children, this man, and you're in captivity for 18 years and yet she's come out on the other side, as you say, yeah, not not ruined, not ruined, not destroyed. And it isn't just years that she's lost. She's lost her adolescence, this this kind of formative period in her life. She's lost the the experience of motherhood has been, well, let's say compromised. Um but she she came through it and she she took she took her life back. So I just yeah, I cheer for all these people, um, although I'm, in, you know, indignant as well. I, I'm, I'm furious at what, at what was, was done to her, but ultimately it's her courage that comes through. The final uh, person that you use as a parallel to Manuela is Miss R. And I find her story actually to be the most horrifying. I had not heard of, let me see if I can pronounce it correctly, encephalitis lethargia, encephalitic lethargy, okay, which is a sleeping sickness. Mm -hmm. And I kind of jumped to the conclusion that because it happened around the time of the Spanish influenza that it might be part of that, but they think not. But the people around that time, there was an epidemic, which most of us haven't heard about. And there were I guess up to a million people who had this, yeah. 500,000 people who died. And, uh, well, you tell us about what happened to Miss R. She went into this kind of uh, twilight state, not quite a coma, because there was a little bit of consciousness. And she stayed there for 30 years until um, her doctor, Oliver Sacks treated her with L-DOPA, and you've probably read The Awakenings or seen the movie. Um, that was kind of a, a Faustian bargain because the L-DOPA eventually pushed the patients into a kind of hyperactive state, and for many of them it wasn't possible to find a balance where they could live normally, and they slipped back into the twilight again. But when she describes it, it doesn't seem like a blank, like just a boring nothingness. She was in her mind and she said, I would draw maps and then I would draw maps of the maps and maps of those maps. She said, I would repeat those seven notes from a favorite aria. Um, her brain slowed down, maybe... Maybe it's the way a tortoise's brain works when they're in captivity, so that the thinking, it felt normal to her. Well, that makes the parallel even more uh, fitting, I suppose. I just keyed in on the word slow that you chose, because when we do think of turtles or tortoises, we think of something that moves slowly. And I think I shared with you that my name is Susan Serafin Jess, and one time I received mail addressed to Susan Terrapin, 
<laughs> which I thought was quite fitting because I do move through life rather slowly. But it almost gives me hope that perhaps Manuela had something similar going on. Of course, she's a tortoise, not a human, but that it wasn't just, um, it wasn't feeling panicked or suffocated, but that there was something, something freeing going on in her cerebration, but we will not ever know that. As is kind of symbolized by the way she managed to hydrate and nourish herself. Yes. Apparently there were drops of condensation in the storage room and she lapped them up and there were termites. And you can just imagine these termites, these little fast, short-lived creatures who came in and nourished her during this spell of captivity. And I like to think, too, that something nourished her <laughs> consciousness as well. So she was slow, but she was, those termites couldn't get away from her. No. Nope. <laughs> so she found nourishment and hydration. She had a will to live yes. and survive. All right. Tell me how you chose these people to weave into the poem? When, when did you get the idea that you wanted to put human beings into the poem about Manuela? I immediately thought of Miss R because I've always been just in awe of her finding the resources, the nourishment in her own brain for 30 years. Then I thought of Billy Hayes. He didn't give in. He continued to walk in the opposite direction, but he too was saved. And and then J.C., I think that she managed, she bore children, she managed to love those children, she kept some kind of connection to other human beings, some kind of caring. And then Ricky Jackson, I just, that was, the connection there was just anger, anger at injustice. And, you know, I, I, I feel angry at animals who are abandoned or locked up or mistreated um, and uh, that we would actually do this to people is just beyond belief. But. So would you say that, uh, because I know that you've written a, a book of anti-Trump protest poetry, which is available on Amazon, it's called Flatman, is a lot of your poetry informed by I guess what some people might call news or world events, because I know some poets stay very far away from that. Or is your poetry a blend? It became very informed by news and world events during the Trump reign. I just, I couldn't help it. That, that was my first published book. I was just so enraged every day. And the kind of dominant image that came to my mind is that he is a flat man. He is two-dimensional. He has fewer senses, fewer human feelings. But in calmer times, I like to read and, and write poems about kind of investigating other consciousnesses, like a, a tortoise's, about memory and the kinds of filters that it goes through. And I've been doing this with my with my visual artwork as well. Yes, I'm glad you brought up your visual artwork because Cheryl Caesar also did the cover art for the 2022 volume of the Washington Square Review, and it's called Van Gogh Immersion. Could you talk about that? Yes, I went to the immersion. It was mm -hmm. amazing. And I actually made a piece that has a poem on top of that image, with little kind of couplets about the experience of the immersion. 
at the, in Detroit at the old Cobo Hall. What I was trying to capture on that cover is a very delicate view on the walls of uh, flower petals falling and then kind of refraction of light. It ended up looking like corn kernels or corn nuts <laughs> or something, but that's that's still interesting. I have been doing more and more visual art things, and a lot of those are based on events in the news. I did a kind of a charcoal smudge drawing of that awful brawl in Congress during the vote for the Speaker of the House mm. with one congressman covering the mouth of another one. Um, I did a, a, a collage called A Cold Coming of those immigrants in Texas who were shipped off to mm. Kamala Harris's house on Christmas Eve in the freezing cold. They look like biblical figures looking for the stable. And I did one about Tyree Nichols called Castlegate. You can see in this screenshot from the video that was taken on the, on the police cameras, you can see this big stop sign and the street sign, Castlegate. And he's almost home, but he's locked out of the castle. And they're screaming, stop, stop. And they're the ones who need to be stopped. It was just such a strong image for me. Well, yeah. Uh, I also went to the Van Gogh immersion. We could possibly have been there on the same day because okay. I went to Detroit. I know it's yeah. been to Grand Rapids and maybe a couple of other Michigan cities. What did you think? I loved it. And you know what I really wanted to do was to lie down on the floor and just look up. But well, I, I realized that was not socially acceptable. That was part of my poem um, because a child I was watching did that. There was a little boy who, there was a star figure on the floor and he centered his feet on it and he stood there like a superhero in the star. But a little girl lay down and let those flower petals cover her up. Well, that little girl was me, as they say, <laughs> or who I wanted to be. Oh, sometimes it's just no fun being a grown-up. But I loved it. Uh, and I've always uh, admired Van Gogh. I mean, who does not admire Van Gogh? He's universally loved, I it's, think, for good reason. And it's a wonderful presentation of his work. Well, thank you so much for sharing those with us, and I hope that they interest some of our listeners. And it's been wonderful talking to you. And, um, you too, Susie. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air. Where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, a publication featuring writers from the Great Lakes State, across the nation, and around the world. To find out more about the Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu slash WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to the Black Box Stage, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Tartuffe, a classic comedy play written by Moliere. This play revolves around Tartuffe, who is a fraud and pious imposter that manages to win the respect of a prominent household. 
only to follow up with scandalous deeds. Tartuffe will be featured April 12th through the 16th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice an eight-year-old girl who's not excited for summer break because she may not be having lunch again until September? Or a war veteran who's having a hard time landing a job and getting back on his feet? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Selective Service System presents Ways to Keep Guys Out of Trouble in Two Minutes or Less. The pictures of your girlfriend making the just-about-to-sneeze face you were going to post online as a joke? Probably should delete them. Another way to keep yourself out of trouble in two minutes or less. Register with the Selective Service System. It's the law for men turning 18. Not registering could mean not getting your driver's license in most states. Register with Selective Service at SSS.gov. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. The University Center at Lansing Community College collaborates with five four-year universities to provide easy transfer pathways for more than 30 bachelor's degrees programs. Visit lcc.edu slash uc to learn more. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Father Gabriel Richard served the city of Detroit as a missionary, educator, and civic leader during the early 19th century. Born in southwestern France in 1767 and ordained a priest in 1791, he traveled to the United States in 1792. The church assigned him to French settlements east of the Mississippi. He arrived in Detroit in 1798. His selection as pastor of St. Anne Parish four years later marked the start of a 34-year career of service and sacrifice for the people of the city and the surrounding area. The Great Fire of 1805, one of Richard's first challenges. The fire destroyed the city, leaving only one stone fort and the brick chimneys of wooden houses still standing. Richard gathered food, medicine, and supplies for those in need and helped rebuild the city. Development of the mind was almost as important to Richard as strengthening the spirit. He established multiple schools in the Detroit area, including schools for girls and students who were visually or hearing impaired. A school he started at Spring Hill Farm educated Native American and European American children together in the hopes of breaking down racial barriers. A spinning machine was brought from New York to help students learn industrial arts such as knitting, sewing, spinning, and weaving. After bringing a printing press to the area, he published Michigan's first newspaper, the Michigan Essay, or Impartial Observer, in 1809. He also created a school speller called the Child Spelling Book, or Michigan Instructor. In 1817, Richard and the Reverend John Monteith began a school that would eventually become the University of Michigan, 
Richard served as one of the school's first professors. In 1823, Richard was elected as territorial delegate to the United States Congress, presenting 16 petitions in his first two months of service. He worked to open Michigan to further settlement by supporting the development of the territorial road to link Detroit and Chicago. When a cholera epidemic hit Detroit in 1832, Richard spent his time ministering to the sick. His proximity to those suffering from the disease caused his own death by cholera a month before his 65th birthday. Richard is interred at St. Anne's Church in Detroit in the Father Gabriel Richard Chapel. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. I'm a retired school psychologist and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Hey, son, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm fine, Pops. What's on your mind? I just, I can't explain it. Eyes waiting, started to wonder. When your kid can't find the language, help them find the lyrics. Listen to the Sound It Out album and get tips and tools to start a conversation at SoundItOutTogether.org. Brought to you by Ad Council and Pivotal Ventures. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students who face adversity, why they chose LCC, and how they turn their situation into a successful one. Definitely now after second semester, my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Age has nothing to do with it. Like I told you before, I have, the, I have notes from that first meeting and it was, take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. I'm Dustin Abrego. The Success Scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Registration is currently open. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash seriousfun. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore what's happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. We're talking today about building and strengthening community. From the perspective of someone who's actively creating spaces in which to engage, Mikey Austin, welcome. And the perspective of someone part of whose job at LCC is to identify activities and organizations to support that are creating these spaces. Dr. Tony Glasgow, so glad you're here. Good morning. Good to be here. Thank you. Before we jump into our discussion, I just want to share a little bit of an intro. One thing I love about both Tony and Mikey is that depending on who you ask, they may know you for any number of your talents and activities and efforts. Tony is a Grand Ledge School Board member, an active church member, a community leader on several boards of directors, and has, I know, a very full-time position at LCC as LCC's Associate Vice President for External Affairs, Development, and K-12 Operations. Mikey is a hip-hop artist and a musician who has released two albums and one EP. Yeah, that's great. Your band leader who curates and shows and festivals, an entrepreneur and a really dynamic community builder, and an LCC alumnus. <laughs> yes, yes. Not to mention the roles of the heart and home that you each fill with your loved ones and family. That's that's huge. Um, and these two know each other. So truly, I feel like we could pick any one of these things that you two are involved in and focus on that and have a really great conversation. But today, we're going to talk about building community. And that kind of, I feel like it encompasses so much of what you're each all about. And somehow that's the reasons that you are each so active in the ways that you are, are your creative forces. But then this instinct and, and draw to to create and build community. So I kind of want to start the discussion on a little bit of a on maybe the smaller scale, the local scale in terms of developing spaces. So Mikey, I'm really interested in talking in hearing from you about your latest creation. I know it as R Space 517. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of exploded recently. For so sure. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm happy to share. Um, first off, again, thank you for having us. I'm really excited to dive in with you, Melissa, I and mean, you, Tony, as well. Just about our space. Uh, I know it may seem like it's something that just like came out of nowhere or exploded out of nowhere, but really, uh, when we think about community building and just like there's a foundation aspect that goes to that. And thinking about the foundation, a lot of the elements that you see in our space 517, we've been doing for years from 2017, 2018, doing our Black Arts Matters celebration in Rio Town, doing our Rio Town sessions where we would highlight local artists and it would all be donation based, but then we would uh, give away art scholarships for our local um, high schoolers. And then just all the things that I've been involved with around music and art, it's all a combination and everything kind of builds one thing after another. So our space was really a product of the Juneteenth Festival. So we put on the very first Juneteenth Festival in Rio Town in 2021, coming out of COVID, just kind of knowing people wanted to get out, get active and have something that's high quality, but also accessible. So the first Juneteenth Festival, we were able to uh, have it right in South Washington, shut the street down, line the street up with vendors on both sides, really just where we might have had the expectation to raise a couple thousand dollars and maybe two, three hundred people come out. They ended up going far beyond that. Uh, so we were able 
able to see over a thousand people there celebrating black culture, black freedom, black entrepreneurship, black art, and really just that goal of creating spaces that were diverse. And the second year around is like, all right, I, I, we have to wait a whole year to kind of feel that feeling and see the community come out and celebrate. So I would say July, uh, we started thinking, all right, we need to make this bigger. We need to make this better. We July need to, of the first year? Yeah, July. So Juneteenth happened. Mm-hmm. And then in July, we got to work right. And a lot of things happened in between then. But um, really just kind of creating that foundation, like this worked. So how do we continue to curate these events and activate spaces and make it our space? And that was really just the idea. So I started playing with that idea of our space that summer but again that's just the foundation things don't happen overnight even when it seemed like seems like it might um so that idea kind of came right after the first juneteenth and then the second year it went from that single day festival to an entire weekend of events activities just corridor activation where we did like a comedy jam to kick the weekend off we did a free ice cream social highlighting our black owned bakeries and giving out ice cream sandwiches where we had all of these different organizations and nonprofits all present and just having a great time celebrating juneteenth And then our big day was that festival and everything that we saw that first year, we were able to see that double that second year. Um, So whether that was fundraising, whether that was attendees, whether that was vendors, uh, seeing the revenue generated for those black owned businesses, it's like, all right, we're under something here. So same thing kind of happened that July after Juneteenth. It's like, man, I'm kind of bored. (laughs) (laughs) Like, <laughs> <laughs> you take like a few days it doesn't to rest. take long yeah, exactly. for you, does it? Mike? Exactly. It's like, we're kind of bored. And we're already thinking about like, well, what do we do next year? And just realizing we created this space where maybe that space didn't exist. Or maybe and when you think of real town, you think of these specific events. And now thinking this has become our space. And it's not just one person's space or one organization's, but it's a platform for everyone. Um, so that's really where that idea of our space kind of came from. And then just realizing this works. So now let's double down. Let's take it serious. Let's do all of the things that we need to do to make this a real thing. And from there, just that idea of us activating spaces throughout the city with free accessible programming that's all centered in culture and wellness. And that's what we've been doing since. Um, Right now, we have an entire summer of events kind of planned out, but we decided to use from January through May to kind of build anticipation. So we've been doing monthly events on the east side corridor, um, and then we'll move back to Rio Town, we'll do downtown, and then we'll do the south side of Lansing. So that's really just kind of the the background and context of our space 517. That's so exciting. And I remember the first year of Juneteenth, seeing mm-hmm. all these people out, mm-hmm. so much happiness and energy. Mm-hmm. And um, Tony, I think that's when you first, can, tell that, me, that tell is. us a little bit about your first connection with Mikey. Melissa, you were responsible for that. Melissa. And I appreciate when employees have ideas, and I'm specifically talking about my role at LCC to support community activities through cash contributions as well as in-kind contributions. We have limited resources to do that work, and so I'm very careful to make sure that whatever LCC sponsors, it aligns with our strategic plan, our strategic goals. And when you introduced me to Mikey, I always have to be careful because there are times that I take my vision and what I'm doing at LCC and try to figure out how I can fit the organization's vision into our vision at LCC. And I've learned, and and Mikey was very instrumental, and there are several others, common friends and acquaintances Mm -hmm. that we have, 
most of the folks I deal with are younger than me, and that's what keeps me energized. Mm -hmm. It helps me to get out of my box, my baby boomer box. I get it. And (laughs) Mikey pitched his idea, and I kept thinking, this is duplication, this is duplication. How can we bring the peers group Juneteenth Right. Mm-hmm. That had been years. going on exactly mm-hmm. going yep, on for this a while. year 30. together. How can we work together? How can we align things so that LCC can sponsor both, but not at the expense of taking those resources away from other organizations? Mm-hmm. We have so many um, groups that approach the college. Absolutely. You have yeah. a, I guess, intricate is, yes. is one word to use for your <laughs> yeah. your work in this area. And we're the people's college. Mm-hmm. Right. These community. Are t- these yeah. are taxpayer dollars. We live, we exist in the community. So, of course, we want to be part of that community. The first year, and I was there personally, and we coordinated, and um, Melissa, I believe you mm-hmm. were there as well. Right. We had a nice uh, couple of uh, LCC tables yes. represented. Tables. And- Absolutely. And so... Everything that we needed to get out to the community, we brought to that event. Mm -hmm. And what I learned that year is we can work together without having one event. There's a different focus. Hmm. And both groups are doing amazing things. When you say we could work together without doing one event, do you mean by doing multiple events? or By having conversations, uh, by connect. looking for overlap, mm-hmm. by connecting, by making sure that if it's something that's not part of the real town mm-hmm. Juneteenth vision, but it is part of the peers Juneteenth celebration, that we're getting the word out for each other because you have so many different people groups Mm -hmm. that have an affinity for different things. Mm -hmm. And so after that first year, I just walked around and I observed and I finally got it. I have probably heard four or five pitches from Mikey now. (laughs) For a variety of different projects. So Mm -hmm. I get our space now. Mm -hmm. This is my third time (laughs) hearing. I get it now. Mm -hmm. I understand it. And it's something that the college needs to get behind. Micah, you, you are an amazing young man. And we need individuals. I've been in this community off and on since 1968. And I'm constantly looking for people who just as I stepped up to do the work of Dr. Olivia Letts, Mm -hmm. Dr. Eva Evans, Mm -hmm. Jack Davis was one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. We need to be doing that for the current generation Mm -hmm. so that Tony Glasgow can work behind the scenes Mm -hmm. to support people like Miles Johnson Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Mikey Austin and Adam Williams and all of those innovative. Who are, who are Miles Johnson and Oh, Miles is commissioner now. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. He's an Ingham County. Yeah. I should know that. I should know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and Adam Williams is the CEO of mission field and his whole focus is to work with faith organizations that may not have the resources to do some of the things that Mikey's doing, to write grants, to provide mental health supports for their members. And so you've got all of these folks that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are doing these uh, cameo. Cameo King. That's the homie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so I get energy from these folks. And just as we're talking about our space, I feel my role is 
to provide space mm-hmm. right. for these initiatives that are so good for our community that align with the LCC goals. Mm-hmm. What I hear you both talking about, too, I'm thinking about conversations I've had with different people who on the one hand, we'll say, there's nothing happening in Lansing, oh, right? Exactly. On the other hand, they'll say, there's so much going <laughs> yeah, yeah. on. Why don't people recognize <laughs> exactly. what's going on? Yeah. And I think sometimes to me, and I've been in the community since 70, mm-hmm. so almost with you there, Tony, mm-hmm. one of the things is, I wouldn't call it disconnect, but there isn't necessarily connection. Mm-hmm. There's, and I think like, because I always think of galaxy, because this is galaxy form, but I think of, you know, things like in a constellation or a galaxy, all these separate stars, people haven't figured out what is the overall constellation, but Mm. it sounds like what you're doing is you're kind of connecting, you're creating constellation. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that's the whole premise of what our space is. Uh, When you think about Tom and MySpace and just that whole popular social media, it's like, this was for me. This was my thing. This was where I can display myself. And like, how many times are there initiatives where it's simply about that organization or it's simply about the mission of that organization where our space, it's really a community vision. It's it's the idea that we're all working together with this goal in mind of what we want Lansing to be. So maybe thinking about Adam and how he connects different organizations to the resources that they need so that they can succeed, really our space works as that platform. So maybe we build the platform, but it's important that at our festivals we have the 60 plus black owned businesses represented. It's important that we have Impression 5 at our events. It's important that we have all the above hip hop academies and all these different organizations because that's the true representation of what Lansing is. And when we think about our space, that's what we want to create and collaboration is at the center of that. So as we talk about uh, just the different initiatives that are going on and uh, really making sure that there's space for all of those things, there is space. But it has to be intentionality and the planning and the foundation uh, to collaborate with the different things that are going on. And like you said, Tony, different things can happen, different things can go on, but it's still, are we communicating? Are we collaborating? Are we talking about, you know, our plans and the planning process so that we can make sure that everyone's being highlighted? And that's what we really try to do with our space. Absolutely. It amazes me because when I think about LCC, I, ha- I have to remember that not everyone can make the connections. Mm-hmm. And I love the example that you gave, the galaxy, the constellations. Mm -hmm. And I was created to make connections. Mm -hmm. So if someone says something to me, okay, our space, Mm -hmm. the first thing I want to do is figure out how can I connect the city of Lansing with what Mikey is doing because the city is doing similar things and how can we all work together to make sure that anyone who's working in the space have the resources that they need. It may be physical space at LCC. That's where we're going to kick off Juneteenth for the peers group. Mm -hmm. It may be Tapping into a population that we don't tap into at LCC. So we've got HR in real time so that we're recruiting mm-hmm. for faculty oh, and yeah. other positions. Oh, yeah. We had our That's academic good. success coaches there as well. Mm-hmm. We had Hope and Lansing Promise represented because you're going to have families that are going through mm-hmm. that festival who don't even know about the opportunities that students, not just in the Lansing School District, mm-hmm. but do you live within the boundaries of the city of Lansing, whether it's Lansing Catholic Central, 
whether it is a charter school, you are eligible for those scholarship mm -hmm. funds. This is not what can we get from people. This is how can LCC make sure that we are providing the community, mm -hmm. not just LCC doing the work, but inviting CAPCAN, the Capital mm -hmm. Area College Access Network, yeah. and Justin Sheehan mm -hmm. from the Lansing Promise Zone to the space so that if it's a 12-hour day, we've got nursing students there, mm -hmm hosting the tables, and all of the resources that we have that are trying to get messages out, mm -hmm. like reconnect, mm -hmm. right. an opportunity to retool mm -hmm. and provide your family mm -hmm. with a living wage because you are willing to sacrifice, come back to school for a certificate or an associate's degree tuition-free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so an amazing that, program. Yes, yeah, it is. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 And just real quick, I think um, even what we try to do, like we love having LCC, we love seeing all the different nonprofits and organizations at the festivals, at the events, uh, because on one hand, it is like the entertainment. So it's that accessible. I know for myself, I wasn't able to go to like Common Ground or these different big, my mom was going to pay $40 for me to go to a festival. But on one hand, you have kids that are riding their bikes from their house in that neighborhood going to see these national and international artists at our Juneteenth Festival. But then also it's that increased access to those resources, to those services that maybe we didn't know about that's right here in our community. So on one hand, you might be coming for one reason, and then you leave with knowledge of all the different programs that LCC offers, that CAPCAN offers. So I think when we're talking about our space, that has to be the center of it. It's bringing all of those things and creating that melting pot uh, so that we can also increase access to services and just knowledge of the different things that exist. And uh, that's, I think, how we become a stronger Lansing, a healthier Lansing, is when we're able to increase access to those things. Definitely. And I like what you were saying, Mikey, about creating our space in the different corridors, in mm -hmm. the different areas. I know I'm most familiar with what you've done recently, though. I've got to get over the avenue. I see <laughs> all these pictures that, yeah. that folks are posting in little videos mm -hmm. and what a dynamic <laughs> and cool thing that is that's the soul lounge yeah, tell yeah, us a yeah. little bit about some of the specifics <laughs> for sure. specific programming yeah so a night at the soul lounge uh, like you said i'm an artist i'm a musician um so i put on a show not to get too in the weeds um, but even thinking about access to going to different shows and festivals when i was younger i also think about access to different platforms as an artist and a musician so being one here locally there are a lot of different organizations as i was coming up that would cap local artists off at say a hundred dollars so mm -hmm. like you know me. I've performed at uh, the building right here for yep. our Black History event, and we pulled up with a five-piece band. So imagine we're getting asked to perform at these different venues, and they're only paying five people. We're going to go home, get some McChickens, and that's it. Like, that's that's all. So I had that revelation that, man, we can really create our own space in the music side of things, too, and put on our own events. So in 2019, um, we put on our first event, A Night at the Soul Lounge at the Loft, uh, before the Loft closed down or changed. Um, and it was just incredible, the turnout. Um, and everything that we do is kind of like a small version of Juneteenth, where we have the vendors, we have the different artists. It's not like you're going to just see one person perform. 
perform, but it's like you're going to experience or be a part of this thing. And the night at the Soul Lounge in 2019 was kind of like the kickoff of that. And it's like, okay, we're under something here. So then when we knew that we had a summer of events that we had planned for this year, uh, we said, all right, if you think about education, information versus entertainment, you might have 100,000 people come to a festival Mm -hmm. where you might only have 10,000 come to a conference. So we wanted to use the entertainment piece to drive the education and information. So from January through May, we have a residency on the East Side Corridor at the Avenue Cafe. And we were able to bring back a night at the Soul Lounge as a monthly event. Um, And as we talk about all of our events being accessible and high quality, we're able to leverage our relationships with our local businesses as sponsors to put on these events that are name your price. So they're free, they're accessible. People can come to the door, name their price if they want, or they can come in without paying anything. We encourage them, you know, tip the people who are serving you, check out the different local vendors that we have in the area um, and just really experience it, be a part. So we have different DJs. um, We have a resident DJ that comes from Detroit every time. Uh, We have our local talent and it's really just a cool experience. Each event has a different theme and it's really cool just to see the community come out, the excitement behind it. But then also just like, as I reminisce, it's like, man, we used to struggle to do these events, to walk away with really nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even those events where they would bring in headliners or these different big people, like there's so many shows that we've performed and there were 15 people in the crowd and probably five of the members from my band were of that 15. Yeah, <laughs> so. I know. And, and seriously, what I've seen um, just on, on social yeah. of, of Night at Soul Lounge uh-huh. is packed. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, it is, like, it's like kind of wall to wall, but people are finding their space yeah, yeah. to dance. People and, are dancing, people are having a good time. Yeah. And like that really clicked in for me when uh, my mom, she came to the first one and she came to me. It was already packed. And she was like, do you know there's like 80 people outside? And it was it was like a snowstorm, but people were just waiting cool. like to get in and from there, we do uh, the first 75 tickets online, um, and those are all name your price. And then the rest are at the door until we reach capacity. Um, this last event, all 75 went in like the first 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so it was really cool just to see the excitement and people come out. But the reviews that we get, that it feels safe, that people can come and that they feel seen, uh, that people feel like they're the center of the attention, like that's what our space is all about. So. What a what a powerful thing yeah. To, yeah. to have created. And I want to use our last few minutes because I I'm remembering, I don't remember the moment we first met, but it's been a good eight years maybe. And it was through Anne Haichi, who's a history professor (laughs) um, and kind of a champion. She's um, dynamic. She's dynamic. (laughs) And you you had created that program that was fundraising for Mm -hmm. scholarships Mm -hmm. for students. So what I want to just touch on, have you both touch on a little bit, this is something you've made a profession out of, Tony one aspect of it, but community building, mm-hmm. huge. And Mikey, Absolutely. you are in that. It's not the only thing each of you do, but it's huge. What would you recommend for students who have an inclination toward this, who are here at LCC? What might they study? What might they get involved in? Mm-hmm. Mm. Any suggestions? Well, Mikey, what was your, your program was in business, right? Yeah, so. That's like, I, actually, I think about the arts as, as like sure. a great place for yeah, yeah, community building. Definitely the arts. Um, I would say for me, so my college post-secondary has been far from traditional. So I know you said we met eight years ago, uh, just this could've spring. Been longer, it could have been longer. I graduated high school in 2014, but I'm now just getting my uh, bachelor's in business administration this spring. So Congratulations. Been, appreciate it. So there's yes. been a lot that's happened in between. I would say for me, 
um, it took a little while just to kind of figure out what exactly I wanted to do. But I knew community building, community engagement, uh, curation was always kind of at the center of it. For me, I started to see things take off once I got the business side of things down. I think so many times we have ideas and initiatives that we want to do, but they aren't sustainable because we don't understand like the business side of things. So I even think about the real town sessions that we were doing, the donations and the scholarships that we were doing, and even the Black Arts Matter celebration. All of these were moments because we didn't understand the business side of things. So I think for me, in order to really create sustainable community and community impact and community engagement, I think that that happened when I started to like really understand the business side of things. Um, and I think some of it was school. So I definitely say taking the time to like take those classes and learn like those technical things. But a lot of those things was getting engaged with the different nonprofits in the community, getting engaged with the different organizations in the community and really just learning from them and learning together. Um, so I would say for me, to really make sustainable community impact was learning, well, you know, we still we still have to eat at the end of the day. We still have to keep the lights on at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So what structures need to be in place in order for us to continue to make those impacts? I, like I tell everybody now, uh, take six months to get your business in order, to understand the business side of things. And that's not necessarily um, trying to fill your pockets up or anything. Like right now, we don't take any money from anything that we do. We reinvest it back so that we can create these experiences. And we know it'll pay off in the long run. But right now, having that structure in place allows us to be sustainable and continue to do those things and continue to get funding and all those other pieces. So I would say for me, the business side of things, the business administration was a huge piece just for the progress and where we're at now. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Tony, 30 seconds of advice. I would totally agree. Totally agree. And I'll just put a plug in real quick because our space is more than Juneteenth. And I hope people will go and look at the financial empowerment, the health Mm -hmm. piece and the Hispanic heritage piece of what Mikey is doing as well. Mm -hmm. So my background is education. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to go to college because I wanted to be a teacher. I ended up in human resources Mm -hmm. when I got laid off. Mm -hmm. From there, I went from city government to state government, worked for a nonprofit, and have bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees in education. That was my path. That's not the path that you need to take. However, if you're going to take the traditional or the non-traditional path, in my estimation, I totally agree with Mikey. It could be public policy. Mm -hmm. I have colleagues who are doing community building who have law degrees. When you look at Justin Sheehan, Mm -hmm. he has a social work background and a law degree. All of those, but what impacted my life more than anything else is working in my church and seeing my parents for 40 years pioneer a church. That is community building Mm -hmm, because you cannot survive in a nonprofit, a faith-based organization without reaching out, being part of the community, caring about the people. I saw based on their work, how you connect with your community and how important it is to share the resources. If you've got one loaf of bread and your neighbor has nothing, it's important that whatever resource you have, you share with the community, and that's how we build a community. Yes, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like there's opportunities with these organizations 
for students to volunteer, to, to yes. just kind of get a taste of, of what it's like to be involved. Well, as I said at the beginning, I knew with the two of you, we could have conversations about <laughs> so many different two. things. <laughs> yes. Part two, part two. We'll yes. come back. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would love that. Thank you both so much, Mikey Austin and Tony Glasgow you, for Marissa. joining us today. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to connect with me or our guests and to listen to other episodes of this podcast and all the great LCC Connect programming. Visit lccconnect.org. Thank you today to our technical producer, Dedalian Lowry, and to Yay. Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.